that set for him last week. So <laughs> awesome. Hey, good morning, everybody. There we go. Hey, I just came off from, from speaking at camp, so I'm just, I'm, I'm flowing, right? Good morning, everybody. Yeah, there we go. That's better. There. Hey, one thing I learned about myself is apparently I am old because uh, high school, a, a room full of 350 plus high school kids don't understand my humor. See, you guys, I got more laugh out of, uh, out of that than I did all of my jokes all weekend combined. But no, hey, thank you so much. Uh, camp was awesome, as Drew was saying. It was really, really fun to watch our group, but then also just the interaction between um, our group and other groups and to see how God is working. I'm, I'm telling you, it was first-time commitments, recommitments, answers to call into, into missions and ministry and just to, to live our lives on mission, uh, empowered uh, by God's word, his presence, his spirit, uh, the work that Jesus has done uh, in us and wants to do through us. So uh, I just want to say personally, thank you. Um, I don't know if anybody really gave permission, but thank you for allowing and enabling me to, to go and uh, to do that. I spent a lot of years in youth ministry, and I always loved camp. It was always hard, and it took a lot of work, a lot of effort, and I came back very tired, so I'm very empathetic towards our leaders uh, who, who went and did that. Um, but I also know the impact that it, that it makes, and it was really, really fun to be back in that setting, and it just really... Uh, reminded me, when it comes to camp season, parents, please don't hold back on sending your kids. It is so, so worth it. God, God meets us just like Zacchaeus on those mountaintop, in those sycamore trees. And the cool thing is, is hopefully when they come home, uh, we can then reinforce what God is doing and we can even learn from that. So um, that was just really, really uh, fun. Good to be a part of that. Um, all right, okay, this morning we're going to continue in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, we all do this from time to time. Uh, it's this thing called uh, missing the point. And here's some examples that I found online of, of some fun ways that we miss the point. So this first one, you probably can't see that, but this sign says, uh, new door lock, push the number two and the number four at the same time, then push the number three and press enter. Do we, do we see what's wrong with this? We just gave people the code to the lock that's supposed to keep the, secure, the building secure. Okay, I thought this was hilarious. Okay, next one. There we go. Uh, crossword puzzle. Nailed it. There we go. In record time, nonetheless, I'll bet. Okay, next one. Ah, it took you a little bit. For some of you, I'm going to explain it. 24-hour protection used two times a day. You see there's 24 hours in a day, but if you use it twice, you shouldn't have to. There you go. All right, there we go. I don't know how that made it out. I mean, Crest, I mean, that's a pretty, pretty big marketing, I don't know. Anyhow, um, it makes me feel better because I'm the graphic design part of this, and I'm always screwing things up, so it makes me feel more, more normal and human. There you go, next one. Genius. Genius. All right. Okay, next one. Can I include that one? Yeah, I think so. We don't know if he was trying to say no or, or if it was really bad and he was actually trying to say yes, but regardless, clearly the answer is yes. I think it's self-explanatory that the answer is yes on this one. Is there another one? Okay, 
To allow our team members to celebrate the holidays with their families, please note the change in our restaurant hours. Tim Hortons. December 24, open 24 hours. Wednesday, December 25, open 24 hours. Open 24 hours, open 24 hours, open 24 hours. Who doesn't want to work for Tim Hortons after seeing that? Was that the last one, or do we have one more? Oh, yeah, veg, three more. Okay, Ultimate Island Veggie Burger, add bacon. I mean... If you want the best of both worlds, I guess, that it gives you a kind of an out. Like, I'm a diehard vegetarian plus bacon. So, a, a bacatarian, there we go. Um, just wireless HDMI cable. Now, now I, I, know, I know that Just Wireless is the name of the company, but if you are Just Wireless, why would you sell wires, right? Like, I mean, yeah, it's the name, but still, it's the whole thing. All right, last one. Find X. Here it is. This, this reminds me of what Nate was working on at camp. He literally, he, he, he says, hey, hey, JQ, can I uh, borrow your room? Because I was actually put up in like a hotel room. I mean, we're talking like Best Western Motel 6. So don't, it wasn't like a Holiday Inn Express or, or Hampton Inn or anything. But, but I mean, you know, um, but he's still... He's kind of like, hey, can I come and crash in your room and do some homework during free time when I'm not, when the, when the kids are doing their thing? I was like, yeah. And he literally brings in this stack of computers and notebooks and textbooks and everything like that. And, and I was like, I don't get it. I would curl up in the fetal position, but anyhow, so there you go. That's how I would answer all of your questions on that. So, um, hey, this morning we are going to actually look at a passage um, where people completely miss the point. They miss what's right in front of them. Jesus has given them a ton of evidence. And then he's, he's kind of testing them to kind of see, do you know who I am, right? And, and we're going to look at this passage where people are missing the evidence, the proof of Jesus that is right in front of them. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 24. Uh, let's start in verse 1. When Jesus had finished giving these instructions to the 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach in towns throughout the region. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things that the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Now, this sounds kind of harsh, right? I mean, John the Baptist is kind of like, are you, Jesus, are you really the Messiah we've been looking for for hundreds and hundreds of years? Now, we can attack John for his lack of faith and things like that, but, but put yourself in John's shoes. He is literally in prison awaiting his execution. He's kind of like, before I go down with this ship, I want to make sure that you're the real deal. Because I am willing to give my life for you. I just want to make sure that you're the real deal. And um, so let's cut him a little bit of slack, right? John is asking for proof. He's asking for proof. And this is how Jesus responds. Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you have seen and have heard. The blind see the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he's added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. He's saying, go tell John what you've seen. Transformation is irrefutable. When we see lives that are radically changed now and forever, like how do you deny that? 
right? It's not just, oh yeah, I believe this and I think this and I, and I really think this is cool. It's not a bunch of thoughts. It's tangible expressions of the power, the transformative power of Jesus. He gives them incredibly irrefutable evidence. Now here's what's really cool is that Jesus specifically names what he does for a reason. You see, because in the Old Testament, there was this prophet called Isaiah, and he was talking about this coming Messiah who would come, and this is how you will know him. The deaf will hear, the blind will see, the lame will walk, the, the good news will be preached to the poor. Jesus systematically goes down and say, see, Isaiah said this, look what I've done. Isaiah said this, said this, look what I've done. He hits to the core of what people were looking for. You see, it was so easy to get kind of, we're going to see how it's easy to get caught up in the show, the excitement, the emotion of Jesus is such a cool guy, but all of a sudden it's like, let's not abandon our minds in this thing. Let's look at what Jesus is actually doing. And it actually lines up exactly what, would, what had been predicted um, hundreds of years earlier. Jesus is very intentional about that. And then he says, if you don't stumble, if Jesus doesn't become a stumbling block to you, you're going to be blessed. In other words, if you, if you surrender your life to Jesus, things are going to turn around. Okay, Matthew chapter 11, verses 7 through 10. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to talk about John to the crowds. What kind of man did you come into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No people with expensive clothes, uh, no people with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. So Jesus is, is uh, addressing what people were looking for in a leader. John was the one prophesied about who is going to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. And he gets to the core. I mean, I love how Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago in, in a culture in the region of the world, uh, different language, different culture, different time, different everything, but yet we see ourselves right smack dab in the middle of this passage. That is the power of the Word of God. It is timeless. It is powerful. It, it, it digs to the core of our being. And he, and he says, were you looking for a people pleaser? Were you looking for a politician who, who, is, who is going to be swayed like a reed? The wind is blowing this way. Oh, I'm this. And the wind is blowing this way. Oh, okay, be this. As long as you are happy with me, I will pander to your desires. I will pander to whatever you want. He says, is that what you wanted? Is that, did you want a people pleaser who is worried about popular opinion? Or on the other side, did you want an impressive person who is dressed in fineries and lived in a palace and, and, and was a celebrity that we wanted to worship and was very, very impressive? And here's some gold coins for you commoners, you know? Like, oh, you know, we're fangirling all over this, this fa well-dressed, fancy person, right? He says, which do you want? Do you want someone who's going to bend to your will or someone that you're going to give yourself to um, probably inappropriately? You know, just as far as like, like going along with, well, this celebrity says this, and so I must be influenced because that's the way the world works, right? And, and he critiques both sides of those. He says, both of those are absorbed with themselves. Either it's the insecure, I want to please you, will you, will you, what can I do to make you happy? Or 
you exist for me, make me happy. Both are just obsessed with themselves. Instead, he says, John was the promised predecessor to the Messiah, who would prepare the way, who would get to the core of our hearts. He was to point to the one true Messiah. And in a sense, you kind of notice what's happening here. As the leaders were leaving, Jesus is telling the people, but also reminding John's disciples who John really was. He was there for a reason. He was there for a role. Now, none of us want to go and say, hey, come to Jesus and then die. But that happens. Sometimes our role is to simply point people to Jesus, and that's our role. But that's a really good role. Because if we can influence people for eternity to live as, I said this a time after time after camp, to live as Christ to die is gain. If I, can live on Christ, if I can live on the earth and point people to Jesus and then I get to die and go hang out with the one that I say my life is all about, that's a win-win situation. And so he's kind of reminding John like, hey, you have had a massive impact. Now you get to go to heaven. It's not a bad deal, Right? And so he was kind of reminding, and, and John reflected that. Remember in, 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 in John uh, chapter 3, I believe, or 4, uh, where he says, you must increase, I must decrease, right? And this is a reminder of that reality. Okay, the first part of verse 11. I tell you the truth, all, uh, of all who have ever lived, no one is greater than John the Baptist. Now, John, I think, would have blushed if not said, please don't, don't, no, 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 no. Remember, you're increasing, I'm decreasing. Don't say that I'm so good. Don't say that I'm so good, right? But the reality is, John was pretty amazing. We're still talking about him 2,000 years ago, and in a good way, not in a bad way. Like, John was a remarkable human being. He understood. He knew Jesus in his mother's womb. Remember, he, like, flips and kicks and, like, yeah! my cousin's always here, you know, and, and, and like he, he gives his life to proclaim Jesus and to prepare people. He was obsessed with people coming to, to Jesus, but you know, so the reality is he was pretty amazing, but in his humility, it wasn't just that, oh, shucks, nah, you know, he was genuinely, no, Jesus must increase, I must decrease, and then he, but then he continues, yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than the first. And so he says, the reality is, is in Christ, look who John is. But the reality also is, is he's a servant, just like everybody else. He's here to serve Christ and those who follow Christ and don't, know, don't yet know Christ. He came to serve. Jesus and the work of Jesus was the core reason and meaning of his life. Verse 12, and from the time of John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. Now, what's kind of interesting here is that the actual, the actual Greek that, that this is written in says, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. There's kind of this debate, is it, a, is it a positive positive, negative positive, positive negative, or a negative negative? But is because there's different ways you can kind of translate this. But it all kind of comes out to the same thing. It is God's kingdom is advancing but every step of the way, it is under attack. When, when Satan sees his temporary kingdom being assaulted, he doesn't like it. He simply does not like it because he knows that his time here on earth is limited and he doesn't want to give up any control. And so when he sees the kingdom of God advancing, and like he said, when, when John went out to the river and started saying, repent, for the kingdom of the Lord, uh, for the kingdom of God is near, 
all of a sudden now the powers that had been in control of that area for hundreds of years were kind of like, oh crap, oh no, the battle is about to begin. The Messiah is actually coming. Because remember, even demons know Jesus. They believe in Jesus and they shudder, but they still choose to rebel against him. And so they're kind of like, oh no, well, what do desperate people do? They, they fight even harder. And so the more the kingdom advances, the harder they fight back. Now think about it. Think about the image of a battlefield. If a battlefield is quiet, what does it mean? One of two things. Either one, victory has been won. Or two, the advancing forces aren't advancing enough to cause any concern from those who are defending it. Does that make sense? It's kind of like entrenched warfare in World War I. It's kind of like you know, after months and months and months and months and months of stagnation, the people who are kind of defending their territory are kind of like, well, they're not even sending any troops over. They're not even shooting at us anymore. They're not advancing. And so they kind of, oh, you know, whatever, life in the trenches, so be it, right? But what Jesus is saying is that ever since John came, this, this you know, 400, 500 year of kind of quietness that we don't know that much about, all of a sudden now it's go time. And so, go, shoot, they're coming at us. We better fight back, right? And so Jesus specifically says, expect to be resisted. Expect to be resisted. When the kingdom of God is on the move, we will experience resistance. Now, please hear me. That is not, we don't want to have this, well, if I'm being persecuted, it must mean that I'm right, right? Let's not do stupid things and call it, well, we're just being persecuted. No, we're being jerks, right? Like, like let's not be one of those church families that, that so like, well, if we're, if we're being hated, then, you know, because God wants us to add flavor to our community. He wants us to, to gain favor in our community. What's good for, for our community is good for us. Like, he wants us to love and to be loved in our community. But the reality is, is that we will be attacked, We've been here for 10 years. We're almost 10 years. There's been a lot of attack. God has done amazing things, and we see his hand and his faithfulness and his calling and, his, and, and everything like that. But over the years, I can specifically look at certain times of the year. I can look at certain seasons, certain things that go on. And after 10 years, I'm, I'm, I'm dumb, but I'm not stupid. I start to see patterns. And it's kind of like Satan's playbook is, is, is pretty easy to spot. And, and it's because certain times of the year, like Easter and Christmas and summer camp and, and leading into all the things that we do with our youth and stuff like that, Satan attacks us. It's just a reality. We live in a spiritual world where, where set your eyes not on what's seen, what's unseen, for what's seen is temporary, what's unseen is eternal, right? We live in a spiritual world. And, and there's constantly that battle going on. This morning in my devotions, I was actually reading, and I talked about the story of John Wesley, who was, who was this revivalist preacher in the 1800s, who would, he would go from town to town to town on, on his horse, and he would preach sermon after sermon. It was just, just trying to bring repentance and people to Jesus and stuff like that. Well, I'd never read this before, but apparently people were constantly throwing eggs and bricks at John Wesley. <laughs> like the egg part kind of stinks. The, the, the brick part, that, that's pretty rough, right? I mean, did they just, in New England, did they just, I mean, New England families, do they have bricks just laying around just to toss at people? They do? That's awesome. There you go. No one, there you go. Boston, Boston, there you go. From Boston, there you go. So here's a brick, bam, here we go. But no, this morning in my devotions, they were talking about how John Wesley had gone three consecutive days without having a brick or an egg thrown at him. And so what did he do? God, thank you so much. 
It's nice not to, not to have road rash on my face from bricks being thrown at me, right? No, he actually goes to God and says, what am I doing wrong? Am I backsliding? Am I being covered by sin? Am I, am I falling into something? Am I trying to please people? Am I, not, am I not being direct enough with a call to repentance? And so he calls, he, he's praying to Jesus about, what's wrong? I'm not getting eggs and bricks thrown at me. And by the end of his prayer, somebody walks by, bam, throws a brick. <laughs> Like, I never read this story. This is awesome. This is just crazy. I, it's just, it's bizarre. My, my next door neighbor, just an awesome guy, grew up in Nigeria. And, and he told this story about how when he was young, he was, he was one of the few Christians in his, in his, actually in his town, in his community. And, and, and every morning at five o'clock, he would go down to the church uh, building and he would ring the bell to call people to prayer. And he says, most mornings, it was just him. And he was ringing the bell, and then he would pray. And, then, and he knew that a lot of people in his, in his community just hated him because, well, one, you're ringing a bell at 5 o'clock in the morning, right? And two, it's kind of like, we don't like your Jesus. We don't like your God. And so uh, he said one morning, he was, he was walking by. He was just walking down, you know, leading up to 5 o'clock in the morning. And, and some guys from, from his town you know, they come out with, with, with uh, sticks and bats and, and, and knives and stuff, and they're going to put an end to this. That's the ultimate snooze button, right? Like, like we're going to put an end to this right now. And, and I said, were you scared? He goes, no, I knew I wasn't alone. It was, I was going to be fine. And, and he said, all of a sudden, they came up, and right before they were going to attack, all of a sudden, everybody just drops everything and runs away. And he just keeps on going, rings the bell, prays, everything like that. Later on in the day, um, he, he, uh, he was kind of asking around. He goes, yeah, why didn't those people come and jump me and kill me like they were going to? You know, I was like, Hope, you are a man. <laughs> like, I, I, need to, like, I need to do a heart check after this, right? And, and what people told him, he says, well, is all, the, all, those, all those guys in the brilliant white shining robes that were surrounding you. You know what happened, right? They saw the angelic spiritual protection that was resisting the attacks from Satan. My neighbor is not a loony bin. He is a very, very awesome dude, and I do not question that story a bit. That's what happens. That's what happens, is that when we are advancing against Satan's territory, we will experience resistance. Matthew chapter 11, uh, verses 13 through 15. For before John came, all the prophets of the law of Moses looked forward to this present time. And if you are willing to accept what I say, he is Elijah, the one the prophets said would come. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now, what's interesting is that, uh, especially in Malachi uh, chapter one, verse uh, sorry, chapter one, verse uh, three, verse one, and four, verse five, uh, they talk about this Elijah figure. Basically, Elijah was a prophet of God who was pointing people to God, and he was just like this special forces awesome dude uh, that did all these crazy things. And he says, leading up to the true Messiah coming, the Elijah figure will appear. And, and Jesus says, John is that Elijah figure. And so there again, there's more confirmation that Jesus really is the one. John the Baptist is that Elijah figure who is preparing the way. Verses 16 and 17. To what can I compare this generation? It's like children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends, we played wedding songs and you didn't dance, and we played funeral songs and you didn't mourn. 
Now, this is kind of a funny dig because Jesus basically says, my generation is like a bunch of kids on the playground who can't get along. They can't agree on what game to play. They can't agree on the rules. And finally at the end, it's kind of like, fine, I'm taking my ball and going home, right? We get, the, we get what Jesus is, is getting at here, right? Like he says, we're so busy infighting and bickering against each other that we, we take our eyes off of why we're here. We, we take our eyes off of who Jesus is. And what's really interesting is, is what he's talking about because he says, they want to emotionally manipulate people. We want you to be happy, so we're going to play wedding songs. Dance. Why aren't you dancing? Are you not entertained, right? But then I want you to be sad, and so I'm going to play a funeral dirge, and then you're not crying. Why aren't you crying? And Jesus is basically saying we're so busy trying to manipulate each other and control each other, and then we don't play by each other's rules, and we take our eyes off that we are here for Jesus. We are here because of what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago, and what he's going to do until the very end of the world. Are we giving our lives to the work of Jesus? The reality of our lives to the reality of the gospel. Or are we like kids on a playing ground, uh, on a playground who are bickering and fighting and, and trying to control each other and, and we're perpetually unhappy? Why? Because it's about me. It's about you. It's us trying to impose our, world, uh, impose our will on the people around us instead of saying, I surrender my life to you. This is all for you, Jesus. I want to be faithful to you. Verses 18 and 19. For John didn't spend his time eating and, and drinking, and you said, he's possessed by a demon. Then the Son of Man, Jesus, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. He's basically saying that if you sit out the party or join the party, someone's always going to be mad at you. If, if, you, if you, you know, remember fasting and, and, and that is, is a sign of sorrow and mourning and repentance, well, what's wrong with you? You're possessed by a demon, John? Why aren't you, why aren't you being normal right here? And then Jesus, remember, feasting and, and, and all that, is, is, it's a wedding celebration. Christ has come back for his bride, and he says, now is the time you should be feasting and celebrating because the good news, the presence of God is right here amongst you. But people are upset. They want what they want, when they want it, how they want it. We're all Burger King fans, right? Burger King is gross, but yet we love that I want it my way, right? I want to be the king. Verse 20, he says, Then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had, where he had done so many of his miracles because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. Jesus is about to drop a bomb here, right? He's kind of building up to this moment. He says, you know, always fighting. No one's ever happy. We're all insisting on what we want and take our ball and go home. And, and we're always, you know, in this control manipulation battle and everything like that. And now he's going to show what it means to ultimately miss the proof, miss the proof of what Jesus is doing, what he's there. He's talking uh, to some towns where he grew up, he's taught, he spoke, he's healed, he's done miracles, he's cast out demons, he's done all these different things, but they completely miss and deny the proof of who he is and what he does. It reveals their hearts because they just want the show and they don't want the actual heart transformation. And then he spells this out in verses 20, uh, 21 through 24. 
What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. I tell you, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on judgment day than you. And you, people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. For if the miracles I did for you had been done in wicked, in wicked Sodom, it would, have, it would still be here today. I tell you, even Sodom will be better off in judgment day than you. Now, this sounds bad. It sounds much worse to them because they knew these towns. You see, the towns of, of um, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, Jesus had been there in the flesh. They had seen the miracles. They had seen the transformation. They would seen everything. These were considered good, safe, secure, comfortable, successful, religious, moral cities. They were the good people. But they missed Jesus because they were more preoccupied with themselves and the furtherment of themselves than about who Jesus was. They just didn't get it. Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom were all sinful cities that had been destroyed because of the evil that was so prevalent in them. Jesus cuts to the jugular here. He basically says, all these awful cities are going to fare off better than you. Because at least if they would have had the miracles, like, like, like Nineveh, you know, like Jonah goes to Nineveh and says, ah, turn or burn, right? And, and then they're like, okay, we're going to turn. And then, and then uh, uh, Jonah is kind of like, no, don't turn. You, I want you to burn, right? And, and, and he's basically saying if these three evil cities would have had the miracles of Jesus, they probably at least would have like, like said, oh, wow, okay, we're wrong. He's confronting their blindness. He's confronting their self-absorption. He's challenging their status quo and how they're missing out on the reality of Jesus. So here's the big idea here, that Jesus wants us to see and respond to the proof of who he is and what he's doing, not just consume and critique. You see, it's so easy to become a critic of Jesus. Well, I think I could do this better than Jesus. I think Jesus should have done it this way. I think, you know, blah, blah, blah. We want to either consume it because of, for us, or we want to sit back and critique it instead of actually seeing it, surrendering to it, receiving it, and letting it work through us. He wants us to give our lives to him. That is what salvation is. It's not just adding him in. So like, Jesus, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accept you into my heart today. Just, just not all of it, but I have a section set aside for you. You know, I'll give you my Sunday mornings, you know, twice a month, tops. Um, I'm going to listen to a little bit of Christian radio, and I might do a devotional reading plan like once a year, like leading up to Christmas or something like that. Deal? Right? Like we think we're negotiating with him. Instead of surrendering all that we are to him in entirety. So in conclusion, here we go. Here's three things that this passage challenges us with. Really quickly. Number one, look for the proof that's actually there. Look for the proof that's actually there, not just what we want it to be. I, I, was, I was racking my brain when I was preparing this because I remember my dad always had a said, it was like, look for what's there, not just what you want to be there. He would say something like that. And I, I, I should have asked him what it was, but, but that's always stuck. We see what we think we're going to see. Any, any uh, sports fans here? Anybody who has a, has a problem with umps or referees? <laughs> be honest. I've come to some of your games. 
Yeah, yeah. I am the chief among all sinners, says Paul uh, slash Jason. How many times have you seen umps or ref who call what they think they're going to see instead of what actually happened? You know exactly what I'm talking about, right? If you're a sports fan, you know exactly what I'm... I should have asked, are there any umps or refs here? <laughs> ah! <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> For Please forgive me. <laughs> no, I, but I, I do the same thing. I do the same thing. That's where I'm kind of like, dear Lord, please never call me to repentance through the form of becoming a referee. That would just be, there we go. Take me now. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, like we see what we want to see instead of what's actually there. I have, I've experienced this myself, and I've walked through so many situations with so many people. So where is God? Where is God? Where is God? 9-11, remember? It was the Time magazine. Where is God? There can't be a God in the midst of all this. Why not? Maybe God is right here with us. Maybe he's holding our hand. Maybe he's crying with us. Maybe, maybe that whole beautiful verse of Jesus wept is true in our situation, in our brokenness in our addiction, in our selfishness, in our anger, in our whatever it is. Maybe he's right there with us, and we want him just to make everything better, but instead we got to go through the storm to be transformed, right? Maybe he's right there with us. We just need to open our eyes and see. You see, sometimes when we feel like we might not be able to take our next breath, guess what? You're probably going to have a next breath. You didn't have to make it happen. God just gave that to you. When, when, when we face catastrophe, when we face brokenness, when we face hurt and pain, he is right there with us. Do we see the faithfulness of God in those moments? That's my pleading. As, as I counsel, as I, as I coach, as I, as I try to help, I'm just sharing what I've learned over the years is, is just keep looking. Allow God to reveal himself the way he wants to reveal himself. I had a, I had a student at camp who was saying they were praying for a sign, and, and it was, I was astounded at the quote-unquote sign that God gave this student because I was kind of like, no, that is definitely not a sign from God because that goes completely contrary to what was already God gave us as a sign in here. But this person wanted so badly to feel the justification from God to pursue what they wanted to pursue that they were willing to twist things how they wanted it to be instead of actually saying, this is what God has already given us. So look for the proof that's actually there, not just what we want it to be. Number two, the proof will always be resisted and attacked. Again, please hear me of what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying. But when we are pursuing Jesus, when we are surrendering our life, when we are trying to uh, um, just radically allow him to transform us and to lead us and to use us, resistance will always come. Just know it. Accept it. Embrace it. It's just the reality of what's going to happen. Beware of imitation or imposter proofs, right? Because our world is full of things that try to either twist Jesus and kind of say, oh, no, 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 Jesus says this, Jesus says this, and, and all of a sudden now Jesus is disembodied from what he actually was and is uh, into whatever we want him to become. We see this in culture, religion, politics, agendas, experiences, all sorts of things. We want to have buddy Jesus instead of Lord Jesus, 
Let's let him be Lord Jesus in our lives. Don't fall for things that feel good in the moment and seem true, and, and, and instead we just turn our brain off and, and just go with it. No, let's turn our brains on. Let's think about it. Let's pray about it. Let's, let's let the truth and the proof reveal itself in the reality of our experiences. So the other part with that too is, is resistance and attacks are going to come, but greater is the spirit that is in us than the spirit that's in the world. If you have given your life to Jesus, you are on the winning side. Amen? We can know that. We know that no matter what we face, it will not be bigger than Jesus and his spirit and his word and his work on the cross. Nothing will ever overpower Jesus in this world. Nothing. That is gospel truth. Okay, last. If the proof is true, we need to respond. We can't just say, yep, I know that I need that, and then walk the other way. We just can't. I mean, think about what we are doing in that moment. Yes, I know this is true, but then I'm going to go the other way. We can't be perpetual window shoppers. We can't just say, I like that, and I like this, and that's cool. I want to try that, and blah, blah, blah. We can't be window shoppers. We have to surrender ourselves to him. Now, I know that sounds scary, right? Especially if you haven't been raised in a church or if you've been raised in a church and it's been kind of more not so pleasant and it's been kind of controlling or abusive or, or manipulative or, or things like that. You're kind of like, I don't, I have some trust issues, rightly so, rightly so. And that's why we're here. That's why we want to, to share the good news of Jesus. We have to know the bad news, bad news before we get to the good news, but the good news is always bigger than the bad news. And that's who we want to be. That's who we want to commit ourselves to being and doing and teaching and experiencing and, and leading and all that. So look for the proof that's actually there, not just what we want it to be. The proof is always going to be resistant and attacked. And then last, the, if the proof is true, we need to respond. If you haven't responded to that, or if you've prayed a prayer and you've, you know, whatever that is, um, but you're kind of like, yeah, I've kind of gone down this other way. I'd invite you to not let a moment go by without responding to that truth. Um, talk with anybody here. Talk with me. Uh, talk with Drew. Talk with, with any of us, um, and, and we can help walk you through that, what that means. I'd really encourage you to experience the freedom, the forgiveness, the life that comes in Jesus. Um, if, if you want to talk afterwards, I'll be here. Um, if you want to call me or text me or whatever, um, that'd be the highlight of my year right there. So, um, all right, last, moving from belief to action, knowing to doing. This week, step back, step back, and look at how God could, is, or could be working in our lives. Through different situations, there might be different things in our lives that God is or could work through right now. So step back and just look, identify. And then, then the second thing is this, actively evaluate the counsel and the advice that we're receiving and the advice and counsel that we are giving. Are we surrounding, ourse surrounding ourselves with, with people that are pointing us to Jesus in his word, in the work of his spirit, and the reality of, of his life, are we, are we surrounding ourselves with that? Or are we 
uh, like a, suede, a swaying reed or a fine-dressed person who, who is there to try to impress, right? Is Jesus the center or is someone or something else the center? And then look at how we are extending that to those around us as well. All right, I know that's a lot, but God is good. He loves you. You're going to have a great week. And even if you don't have a great week, God can still work through that. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your love, um, the fact that uh, you meet us in the reality of our lives, that we are never alone. Um, God, even when we're confused and we're dense and we, we miss what's right there in front of us, um, but God, you love us in that. You patiently, lovingly call us to yourselves. God, thank you for your love for each one here this morning, those who are going to be watching or listening later on. God, I pray that we can surrender, that we can take uh, that step closer to you and ultimately give our lives to you. God, we do that because of your love, not because you're some cruel taskmaster and, and uh, immorality police or anything like that, but instead, God, you love us. You call us to yourself. And so, God, help us to, to step towards that freedom, to enter into that today. God, we just love you so much. We thank you for your love for us. Praise you.